Empire. With the reopening of school comes the intramural leagues returning to play ball. I think most schools view this first and foremost as a service for their fans and for their parents. Um, but that's what they, they want to provide this access. That's David Rudolph, CEO of Play On Sports and the NFHS Network, where the pandemic changed how schools looked at engagement. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. There was a lot happening in and around high school sports during the 2020-2021 seasons. Some schools shut down athletics, others played on without crowds, even some cloaked themselves as private teams with the same roster just to have the games. Now that school seems to be heading for a reopening this fall, leagues should be back up and running, but in the interim, the availability of their content, however they went about playing, turned into a door that swung wide open for those who could provide it. Our guest this week is the CEO of the NFHS Network and Play Odd Sports, David Rudolph. As we are heading out of a pandemic, teams are getting back onto the field, and hopefully by this fall, things will feel semi-normal again. Hey, David, how are you? Good, Bram. How are you? We're doing great. Um, all right, so take me through from your point of view, and for those who, who need an introduction to the NFHS Network, you guys produce and stream tons of high school athletics from around the country. Um, can you kind of take me through what the last year has been like as we're going jurisdiction to jurisdiction about what teams are and are not allowed to do? Yeah, for sure. And, and like with anything, it's different from state to state. But I would say the good news is now that we've gotten into the spring season, uh, almost every state, if not every state, has resumed normal play. Uh, for those, especially those spring outdoor sports. Uh, what's been a little bit unique in kind of the back after the winter and some of the spring is some of the states that deferred or canceled fall sports um, are now playing those as well. So, you know, we've never had football in March and April before, but we've had that this year. And uh, basketball in some states is going to be played into June. So uh, there's still a little bit of, of juggling of the sports season. But for the most part, uh, kids are back playing out on the field, competing for their high schools, and, and under relatively normal conditions in terms of the you know, number of games and uh, rounds of playoffs and all that. Stuff. Um, for for you, did all the shuffling of the schedules make much of a difference over the last year, or you were kind of at the ready for whenever the schools and the districts were going to allow play to occur? A bit of both. Um, I mean, look, like I don't, I'd never say that you know, sports getting shifted around is as traumatic as what, you know, the, our general society went through over the last 12 to 15 months. But it was very chaotic at the beginning of the school year. Um, and, and look, high school sports, um, it, it follows just the general what schools are going to do. If schools are in session, uh, kids are going to play sports um, because it is there's scientific evidence that having those sports and activities is, one of the things that keeps that age group the most engaged in school, keeps them attending and keeps their grades higher. So what we knew is that if schools locked in their plans to return to education, that would largely dictate what they were going to do 
uh, from a sports perspective. Um, and that, that played out. Uh, so you had about two-thirds of the state who resumed schedule somewhat normally in the fall. You know, some of them kind of pushed back a month or two months um, because they resumed in-person uh, education. And then you had about a third of the state to uh, push things off till later, till December or January. Um, so, you know, the, the, once that got locked in, the schedules were pretty set, but then you had all the, the COVID cancellations and postponements and stuff. So week to week and day to day, there were, it was certainly pretty chaotic. And it, even if you had a game scheduled on a Thursday that was going to be played the following day on a Friday, there was no guarantee it was going to happen. But, but all in all, you know, the schools, I think, did a, a great job of communicating the information, even their worst shifts. Um, our, system and platform is kind of set up to adjust to that. So I think all things considered, it went about as, as well as could be expected. All right. So you can be the, actually the bearer of good news here because you have to know, or at least have information about what's coming down the pike. And listen, this summer I'm seeing more and more people at NBL playoff games and here locally for me outside of Washington, DC, the Washington nationals are going to have full capacity in a couple of weeks. And they've already announced university of Maryland, Washington football team, Baltimore Ravens could have full capacity this fall. So are you working on the assumption that we are everybody back in school and we're playing sports at a normal time come September? Yes. I'd be very surprised if that's not, if, if that doesn't happen. Um, you know, again, it's, it's not a state by state and even local by local decision on that, but um, all indications are, uh, school will resume on a normal schedule and in person next year, and sports will uh, return to playing on a normal schedule. Kind of the you know the sports in the in the right season that they're traditionally played, you know, starting on this at the same time that they traditionally start and playing a full season. So, uh, and and on top of it, I think we'll resume either you know full attendance or certainly um, you know not have the same kind of restrictions that a lot of places had uh, this year in terms. I think next school year for high school sports will feel back to normal as back to normal can get after going through a 18 month pandemic. Um, talk to me about engagement a little bit with your network. Um, obviously everybody was home and this was unusual, but there were sports that were happening. And did you see growth on your platform in terms of engagement because of the lack of accessibility? We did. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of shocking. Um, the, the first indication we got was uh, last summer. So kind of July and August as schools really started to lock in their plans for return to in-person education. And, you know, a lot of administrators, I think at that point were like, Oh my gosh, we're going to be playing sports, but we're either going to have no attendance or limited attendance. We've got to have a plan for streaming. And so, you know, what I would say, you know, most folks in the high school ecosystem viewed streaming before this as a nice to have, and just overnight it became a must have. So the, the first uh, change in demand we saw was at the school level, just, you know, the surge of schools who not only wanted a solution, but were desperate for a solution, just, I mean, went through the roof. So, I mean, just to give you some numbers, we were working with a little over 2000 schools last summer. Um, and when we wrap up this school year, we'll be at about 8,000 schools. Um, so, I mean, you know, just, I mean, it was, we've never seen anything like that. We've been doing this a long time and it's, you know, nine years, I think eight years and took that long to get to 2000 schools and then, you know, quadruple that number in, in less than 12 months. So that was the first surge we saw with schools 
really needed. And, and that's where we had to hire up and, and add a ton of resources just to make sure we could help them get these games produced. You know, the next question then was, you know, what was the consumer demand going to be like? And we assumed it would be, it would be higher just because, you know, in a lot of places people either couldn't attend at all or, or their, uh, the attendance options were very limited. Um, and it grew, um, you know, it was probably up on a per game basis this year, 40 to 50%, something like that. Um, so definitely grew, but most of our growth this year has just come from, you know, four times the number of schools are now streaming their games uh, than a year ago. Um, and then add on top of that, you know, on a per game basis, 40 to 50% or more are watching. So uh, uh, it's been a, it's been a big year. So like, obviously the pandemic accelerated people's desire to have this type of access and technology involved in their programs. What do you, considering how many came to you, what do you think their reluctance was pre pandemic to be part of the future of content distribution? I mean, when you hear uh, folks who express, you know, a specific reason, um, you know, I'd say it typically the only thing that you hear is, Hey, I don't want to broadcast my games again, whether it's on TV or streaming or whatever, because I'm concerned it's going to affect my attendance. Um, and, you know, high school programs, the funding for it are very dependent upon their gate revenues. That you know, makes up the vast majority of their revenue beyond the, the fundraising or the, the fees that the players pay to participate in that sort of thing. Um, that's a, again, we we hear that off and on kind of over the years. That's a, kind of a pretty consistent thing. Um, but it's in the minority. I think most folks recognize that, um, you know, streaming a game or watching a game, especially at the high school level, that doesn't replace the experience of attending it in person. You know, what it's for is for those fans who are displaced and don't have a chance to go to the game. Um, you know, whether they're traveling or, or frequently, you know, it's the folks who are out of town, parents and grandparents and extended relatives who re- can't come to the game. Um, or for the home fans who want to follow the team and, and see them when they're, uh, on the road, you know, playing a game that's an hour or two away that they're just not going to be able to attend in person. So, um, you know, all the evidence points to there is zero impact on gate from streaming. It actually helps to grow your fan base. But but there's still a, kind of a small percentage of folks. I'd say the, the primary reason uh, folks don't do it is just there was no driving reason why they had to. So that was, I don't want to call it lethargic, but it was just yeah. uh, inertia uh, if you haven't done it in the past. You know, what this has done, this has obviously pulled that forward several years. And now that it's in place, it's here to stay. Um, you know, we've already seen it in this year that there's now an expectation for fans that they want to have access to every game that they can attend, you know, and it's not just the varsity games. You know, we saw the demand for JV and freshman games across all sports just explode this year. Like we saw that grow faster than, than kind of the, the varsity games. So um, parents want to have that ease and accessibility and, and be able to watch their kids games and fans want to be able to do the same thing. So um, that, that's the biggest change is you will now see going forward. There's an expectation that every high school game should be streamed, not a, you know, wow, wouldn't that be cool? Or wouldn't it be nice? if that Talk to me about quality as you put together. Now you just exponentially change the amount of schools that you're helping and servicing. Um, I'm sure as a network and as an organizer and as a content provider, um, you want the best quality that you can give to them. Um, How do you think through doing that with this kind of massive upsurge in demand for your service? 
Yeah, quality is always relative, um, but there's a there's a certain level that you've got to achieve. And so, you know, what we talk about internally and we talk about with schools is uh, the good enough. And so, good enough. The definition we put on it there is that the viewing experience uh, at home has to be equal to or better than the viewing experience being in the stadium. So, if you think of it, you're near a stadium. I can generally see the full field. I can see the action. I can, you know, follow what's going on. I can see the scoreboard, so I know where we are in the game and what the the score is and kind of what's happening there. And I hear enough audio feedback to give me additional clues as to what's going on. That's the bare minimum of what the streaming experience has to do. So it's got to follow the action. It's got to provide the scoreboard information, and you've got to have some sort of audio feedback. Above that is, you know, what everyone expects from the broadcast that they see on TV. So, you know, multi, uh, multiple angles on, on, uh, from cameras and replay mm-hmm. and play-by-play and color commentary. Um, those are kind of standard from a TV uh, standpoint. And, you know, ultimately, we'd love to see every game have all of that. That's not realistic. At the volume of games we're talking about, um, that's not realistic. Um, so as long as the every game kind of meets that that bare minimum, and then some schools decide to add more production elements, uh, that's kind of the the consumer experience that we're shooting for. It's just to make sure that the viewing experience from home is the equivalent of of what it's like being there in the stadium and, and the experience you'd have uh, in that environment. Um, as you know, there's and we've talked to you on this podcast a number of different groups and CEOs of groups that are building out technological solutions. Uh, with cameras and automation that they could potentially um, up the production with some training and obviously an investment by the school, which I think is probably prohibitive, but you probably know better. Um, Do you see stuff like that coming down the line where the production quality because of technology could be changed not across the board, but by a number of schools that want something that feels a little closer to what they see of a televised game? No question. I mean, you will, at the high school space, and this is not just high school, I, I would say this is, you know, kind of any game that's in the, I'll put it in the niche, that production of those games is going to transition over the next decade to be almost completely automated production. Uh, it's the only way to do it at scale at any sort of uh efficiency and unit economics that makes sense. The great news with that is that technology is only going to continue to increase and the, the algorithms and the software that are used to, to drive that and produce gains and add some of the production that you're only going to increase. Um, so 100%, I mean, those cameras that you know we, we're installing now, they're all 4K, so just the quality of the core image uh, is there uh, that we can deliver to the consumer. And then, you know, from there, it's all just, it's all just software. It's easy for me to say it's all just software. Right. So simple. There's some really complicated math and AI and computer vision stuff behind it. But um, again, that will change. Those are software upgrades. Those are hardware upgrades. Uh, and that will occur. And probably, I mean, I said 10 years, you know, probably occur much faster. I mean, I think you'll see a bunch of developments on that front, even within the next five years. Um, all right. So like a school could invest in something like that. If the costs, if there's enough competition, the costs come down, it becomes automated. They have a better quality. Like clearly um, Texas high school football probably garners pretty big audiences for the major programs there. California is probably the same. Florida is probably the same. 
the general program, even on high profile sports, um, how do they kind of view what they can get out of the experience if they kind of know that, you know, singularly in each of their silos, their audience is small? Correct. I mean, that's, that's the key. I think even for the biggest programs and the biggest sports, um, you know, the relative audience, especially compared to anything, be any of the tier one stuff, the NFL, NBA, the audience on a, on a per game basis is, is very small in comparison. Um, you know, I think most schools view this first and foremost as a service for their fans and for their parents. Um, but that's what they, they want to provide this access. Uh, and again, uh, for the parent who can't be there because they're traveling or on the road or at another kid's activity or game, um, or for the, the parent who's out of town or, or the, the extended family who's out of town, um, it's a great convenience and a, a really nice uh, thing to have. Um, I think that's their first and foremost uh, driver from this. With it, you know, I think, like any, anything, if there's revenue associated with it, I think they want to be compensated for their content and their rights and you know, that's a part of this. So, um, you know, some schools generate tens of thousands of dollars uh, in terms of, of revenue from this. And that's money that they can use. To, in those cases, they probably don't need the money so much in football, but they can use to fund some of their other sports. So there is a monetary component to it. But I would say that's not the driver for the overwhelming majority of schools. But uh, they're looking at this from the fan experience and, and fan access standpoint to make sure that, that those folks can the games that they're not able to attend in person. Um, you know, obviously with the pandemic going on, and I know this has been going on, but I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about the high school support program because you've given millions back to the schools since your company's inception. And obviously this has been a very trying year for everybody and certainly for thin budgets in all sorts of jurisdictions for public high schools. Um, do you want to talk about the high school support program for a moment? Sure. That was what we uh, launched uh, over the summer. Uh, in response to, to seeing this increased need uh, for a streaming solution. And, and so, you know, with that many schools trying to start a streaming uh, program from scratch, uh, it's really hard to pull together a crew who's going to come out and cover 200 games a year, uh, which is roughly what takes place when you do varsity and JV across the, you know, football, basketball, baseball, softball, lacrosse, soccer, uh, volleyball, wrestling, um, you know, it's two to 300 uh, per school. And so that's, that's hard to pull together a crew of whether it's students or parents or just to make sure all those games get covered. So um, what we did is we completely eliminated the price for the automated uh, camera technology that, that we have. And we use Pixlot. I think you've talked to them before. Yeah. Um, and so we took that price to zero and said any school in the U.S. that that wanted two of those cameras, we would provide them for free. So mm. um, I can't remember the numbers, but I think it's been well over 10,000 uh, cameras that we've distributed for free this year. So that was the first part. And then uh, we upped the revenue share and the ability for uh, fans to make direct donations to schools as well when they were subscribing. And so, you know, that's generated uh, tens of millions of dollars that have gone back directly to high schools this year. So, um, we didn't know when we offered it what the uptake on either of those would be, but it's been phenomenal. Um, we're glad we could play a small part uh, in helping out with this. Uh, certainly what the high schools have gone through just in trying to figure out in-person uh, education and all the complexity that goes with that. They've certainly been through a lot 
a lot worse than, than a lot of folks have. So we were very happy to, to have a small part of it and glad that uh, it helped some of these, with, both from an access standpoint and from a financial standpoint. It's very cool. David Rudolph is the CEO of the NFHS Network and Play On Sports. Thank you so much for joining us, David. Thank you, Bram. Good to be with you. On the next Future Sport Podcast, former American national soccer team member Eddie Lewis discusses the state of the game and his latest endeavor to grow its reach, Toka Football. I think today, you know, you see um, you know, some of the top athletes in America choosing to play soccer because they're they're not seeing the opportunities, right? As as the MLS emerged and there was a path to professional soccer, right? That was a, a big step in the right direction. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3advance.com. That's the number 3advance.com.